If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Josh, and I get to serve as the campus pastor here at Broken Arrow. And and I'm excited because through your generosity and through our commitment to go all in, we have officially launched Celebrate Recovery this past Tuesday night. Can we celebrate that? We believe that we are going to see hundreds of men and women experience freedom from their hurts and habits and hangups. In fact, this past Tuesday night, a Celebrate Recovery launched with almost 160 people here at Broken Arrow. And uh, man, it is amazing to see what God is doing. And I just want to say that there is room for you. What happened for Jacob can happen for you as well. It's what this series that we've been in is all about. We've been in the midst of this series called Turn On the Light. And we've been looking at how do we handle those hurts and habits and and hangups that derail our life. In fact, we've been looking at the word recovery as an acrostic. And it looks like, there we go, the word recovery as an acrostic that really lay out the steps that will help us find freedom. Freedom from the habits that wreak havoc, from the problems that continue to perpetuate difficulties in our lives, and and even from the memories that seem to haunt us. You see, I believe that recovery is uh, is not just for those dealing with chemical dependency or food and body image issues or those who have experienced some level of abuse. It's not just for those struggling with an addiction, PTSD, or anger, mental health, or codependency, family dysfunction. Recovery is really for all of us. We all need recovery from something, because the truth of the matter is we are all hung up on something. And I know this to be true, because this is exactly why we make New Year resolutions. It's why we make life goals, because we want to overcome We want to experience transformation. We want change in our life. And there's something about this point in the new year that as it kicks off, we seem to have this extra motivation. It kicks into high gear, at least for a week, maybe for two. And then if you're anything like me, by the time we get to this point, we're thinking, man, 2023, that's going to be my year. In fact, I I was thinking this last week about all the New Year resolutions I've made, and truth be told, I can't remember a single one that I've made in the past, which probably speaks to how many of them I've accomplished. Uh, But we all want change. We all have things in our life that we want to move forward in. And and so just like last week, we're going to cover two steps today. And I just want to encourage you, there's a lot that we're going to go over. And so whether you're watching online or at another one of our campuses, or you're here in the room with us today, I want to really encourage you to take notes. Uh, And as we begin, I want us to recap where we've been on the road uh, to recovery. The first thing that we saw was that we need to realize I am not God. This is the first step. It's a step of reality. When we admit that we are not God, it's then that we can begin to recover. And until we embrace that we are not God, we're just simply spinning our wheels, trying to change what ultimately we don't have the power to change. And then we looked at the next letter, which is E, earnestly believe. We need to earnestly believe that that God exists and that I matter to him and that he has the power to actually help me recover. This is a step of hope. But just being earnest about your belief is not enough. We then need to take the next step, which is C, commit every part of my life to Christ. You see, it's not enough for us to just know that we have problems, and it's not even enough to know that God can solve them. We must consistently and consciously turn them over to him. 
We must commit every part of our life to Christ saying, God, here is my life. The good, the bad, the ugly, I I give it all to you. But here's what happens when we get to this point in the process of recovery. When you realize that you are not God and you earnestly believe that God actually has the power to help you and you commit every part of your life to Christ, make no mistake about it, the enemy will take notice and he will attack. In fact, some of you have probably experienced that even in the last few days. You just like Pastor Alex said last week, the devil is good with you dabbling in Christianity. He's okay with you putting your foot in the water, but what he doesn't want you to do is decide. He's afraid of you committing, and God wants you to experience freedom of recovery, but he also warns us that there is a very real spiritual battle at hand. And as we take steps towards a future of freedom, our enemy wants nothing more than to keep us shackled to past failures. And one of the primary ways in which the enemy does this is guilt. Guilt. Guilt is that that sinking feeling because of a poor choice or some inappropriate behavior. Guilt says, I messed up. I did something Bad. And I know we've taught about this before. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Shame, on the other hand, says, I am a mess up or I am something bad. Shame comes when you believe the enemy's lie that because you did something bad, then you are something bad, which is not true. That's a lie. But the truth is, when guilt takes over, we can't move forward. And Satan loves guilt. He loves guilt, and he loves it for several reasons. One of the reasons he loves guilt is because guilt delays your recovery. Guilt delays your recovery. When you're stuck in the past, it keeps you from being able to move into your future. It's like getting stuck in snow or mud. You you rev the engine, but you just can't get any traction. You stay exactly where you are. And, And make no mistake about it, the enemy is against your recovery. The more that Satan can delay you, the more he can harass you. But he doesn't just want to harass you. He also wants to harass those closest to you. In fact, that's another reason that guilt is such a powerful tool. Not only does it delay your recovery, but guilt damages your relationships. It damages your relationships because when you are overcome with guilt, it influences how we interact with one another. It prevents intimacy in relationships because it drives secrecy. Guilt can be that spark that ignites an angry outburst. It can cause people to enable destructive behaviors in those around them, or it can cause someone to completely withdraw and avoid commitment. It creates this downward spiral where we respond and act out of guilt, which then creates this relational friction and unhealthy patterns, which then leaves us feeling guilty all over again. It just perpetuates this cycle over and over. And so we begin pushing people away. We push them away because they they tell us that we need help. Or we push them away because uh, we're afraid of failing them or hurting them again. But another reason that guilt is such a powerful tool is because guilt destroys your peace with God. Guilt destroys your peace with God. The the truth is, God has already taken care of your sin problem. If you have committed yourself to Jesus, if you have made him Lord over your life, then he has redeemed you. You have been justified, meaning that you have been made right with God. 
In fact, in Romans 5, 1, it says that since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ, our Lord, has done for us. But as I'm sure you've experienced, guilt destroys peace. It takes us right back to square one, and, and it causes us to doubt our standing before God. And so I think the question that we're left with today is, how do we move forward in the road of recovery? How do we respond to the, the roadblock of guilt? We can't just wait for it to dissolve, though that's often our game plan. You know, we know that when something sits long enough in liquid, it eventually dissolves, but that takes time. And time is not a luxury that guilt has to offer us. Guilt cannot be dissolved. It must be resolved. Let me say that again. Guilt, it can't be dissolved. It must be resolved. And I want us to look at this today. And so if you have your Bible with you or a Bible app, I want to encourage you to open it up and open to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is what we're going to look at today. This is a psalm written by King David. And obviously, King David is one of the most well-known biblical figures. In fact, many people who even have little or no faith at all still know who he is. I mean, that might be you. You might be here today or watching online or at another one of our campuses, and you're skeptical about faith. But you probably know who King David is. And I think one of the reasons for this is because of the transparency with which his life is portrayed in Scripture. You see, we have stories of his political and combat victories. We have uh, examples of his faith and his trust in God. But we also see his failures as a parent. We see his shortcomings as a king and, and even his immorality, committing adultery and sanctioning murder. And King David, he knew guilt. He made plenty of mistakes. And in Psalm 32, he speaks about it and tells us how we can move beyond it. And so I want us to look at Psalm 32, beginning in verses 1 and 2. He says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. You see, David says right here, it's the Lord who clears our record. It's the Lord who resolves our guilt. And when he does, there's a weight that's lifted off of our shoulders. There is joy. And that word joy is, is the Hebrew word for blessed, which is also translated as happy or fortunate. We experience joy and happiness when the Lord removes our guilt. This is something we talked about in week one. This is what we experience when our mistakes are covered over, when our wrongdoings are put out of sight. But there's a disclaimer here I want to make. David does not say that there aren't consequences for sin. But what he is saying is that it is possible to clear sin's condemnation. You see, when we look at the first two verses of Psalm 32, we see that there are two parts to the equation when dealing with guilt. There's the Lord's part, and then there's our part. Forgiving disobedience, only God can do that. Putting sin out of sight, only God can do that. Clearing our record, only God can do that. But what's the last line of, of verse 2? It says, living lives in complete honesty. That's our part. In fact, that's the next step in this road to recovery that we're on. Oh, is to open up 
It's to examine and confess my faults. You see, this is a step of transparency. It requires complete honesty. It's about dealing with our past. And it's required if you want to let go of guilt and gain a clear conscience moving into the future. Unfortunately, unfortunately, many people would rather manage their guilt than deal with their sin. Many people would rather manage their guilt than deal with their sin. But it's a trap. Again, guilt, it cannot be dissolved. It must be resolved. And confession opens the door to freedom and puts us on the path of change. This series is called Turn on the Light because that's what confession does. It reveals what's been concealed. It brings light into the darkness. Just because you can't see something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. One of my brothers, this was his approach to cleaning his room as a kid. He would just stuff all of his trash and dirty laundry into the closet and into his dresser drawers, and you're tucking things back behind corners, and then he'd turn off the light, as if suddenly his room was now clean. But confession is like turning on the light. It's, it's opening the drawers in the closet, and once you see it, then you can deal with it. You see, sin is always more daunting. It's always more frightening when it's concealed by the dark. This is because the lack of visibility, it prevents us from knowing the depth and the breadth of the problem. But sin is rarely as big or as scary as we make it out to be. You know, I went to college in California, about 15 minutes away from Disneyland, which is by far the most expensive, I mean, happiest uh, place (laughs) on earth. And I had a season pass for the majority of the time that I was in college, and I can assure you that my grades definitely reflected that. One of my favorite rides at Disneyland, I don't know if if you've been or not, one of my favorite rides is Space Mountain. And if you've never been, Space Mountain is this indoor roller coaster. And since it's designed to make you feel like you're in space, the ride is, is basically pitch black. In fact, this is what you see when you're on the ride. It is just black, and it looks like there are stars all around. And, and once the roller coaster begins, you can't see the track at all. I mean, you don't know when it's suddenly going to bank left or, or drop and then turn right, which is absolutely exhilarating for an adrenaline junkie, uh, but terrifying if you've just eaten lunch. <laughs> it's so disorienting because the whole thing is concealed with darkness. But this one time, I was on Space Mountain. I'm pretty sure I was supposed to be in in a biology class, but I was on Space Mountain, and and the music is blaring, and and the coaster is beginning to climb up the track, and this voice counts down, you know, five, four, three, two, and then boom, everything stops, and all of the lights turn on. And everyone's looking around like, what on earth is, is going on? What's happening? And the voice comes over the loudspeaker. And it's like, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there's a problem. And we're like, we know. That's, that's obvious. And, and unfortunately, with whatever happened, they had to shut the ride down. And so they sent our roller coaster car through the entire ride with no music and with all of the lights on. And let me say, it was the simplest, least exciting roller coaster that I've ever been on in my life. All of the fear and and all of the unknown dissipated when the lights came on. Because then we could see the roller coaster for what it really was. And the same is true for our sin. We must turn on the lights. 
The fear and the anxiety of it dissipates when it's no longer concealed. We must open up and examine and confess our faults. Otherwise, guilt will persist. And so I want us to get really practical today. I want us to look at the ABCs of getting past guilt. So how do we open up and actually confess our faults? Well, the first thing is we need to accept responsibility. You must accept responsibility. Again, guilt comes through sin, which is any decision, it's any action that is outside of God's will for us. That's sin. God wants what's best for you. He wants what's best for me. And so anything that hurts us or hurts someone else is sin. And guilt is that alarm that goes off that tells us that I messed up. I did something bad. And when that alarm goes off, it must be acknowledged. But if we're honest, that's rarely the first thing we do. Typically, we run to distraction. We try to distract ourselves from guilt. We try to to bury it with work or with school or with relationships, anything we can to try to avoid it. But the more you try to not think about it, you know, the more it consumes you. When we don't accept responsibility, guilt eats at us. In fact, look at the next verse in Psalm 32. Verse 3, it says, When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Scripture here at this point is speaking to how the spiritual and the physical are intertwined. Pastor Alex Alex has taught many times that you are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. We are spiritual beings that have temporary physical experiences. But here on earth, our spirit, soul, and body exist as a unified being. And that's why guilt can literally make you sick to your stomach. That's what King David is speaking about in this moment. Refusing to acknowledge sin and accept responsibility, it keeps us deceived. Ignoring it will not erase that it happened. It will only prolong our guilt. In fact, in 1 John 1.8, it says that if we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves. And not living in the truth. You know this. God already knows your sin. He already knows what's been done. And so you owe it to yourself to be honest with yourself and accept responsibility. We need to accept responsibility. And then the next thing we need to do is believe that we're already forgiven. Believe I am already forgiven. Our feelings are connected to beliefs, to our thoughts. And actions follow belief. When we believe that God has forgiven us, it's easier to then go on taking the next step. We can feel guilty, but the question really is, are we guilty? You see, if guilt is conviction, conviction that we have sinned and we haven't repented, then then that's actually the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. But if guilt is condemnation, that our sin has somehow separated us from God, then that is the work of the enemy. It's a lie that we've believed. There's a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. Romans 8.1 tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've put your faith and your trust in Christ, then all of your sins have been accounted for. Past, present, and future. There is nothing that is able to separate you from the love of God. I mean, that's the great news of Romans 8.39. 
Followers of Christ should have confidence in our standing before Christ. Confidence in the forgiveness that we have in Christ. In fact, look at how uh, David continues in verse 5. He says, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you, what? Forgave me. All my guilt is gone. God is faithful to forgive. He wants to resolve the guilt. But you must accept responsibility. You must believe that you're forgiven. And then as we see here in verse 5, we need to confess my sin. We need to confess, not conceal. You know, growing up in, in high school, I had a tremendous acne. And I learned very quickly that it is possible to conceal a zit, but concealing only covers it up. It's still there underneath, and, and confession deals with the root. It gets to the heart of the issue, and, and that's the great news of 1 John 1, 9. It tells us that if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness and cleansing come when we confess to God. However, confession is twofold in nature. There is both a vertical and a horizontal aspect. We must confess our sins to God, yes, but we also must confess to one another. You see, confessing to God is about forgiveness, but confessing to one another is about freedom. In fact, in James 5, 16, I'd encourage you to, to write that verse down. It speaks to the horizontal aspect. It instructs us to confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. You see, there is freedom. There is healing that comes when we confess to one another. And I don't know about you, but for me, confessing to God is, is easy. Confessing to one another, that's difficult. There's genuine fear there. And I think it's because I know that God knows that I'm flawed. I know that God knows that I've, I've made mistakes, but I don't necessarily want you to know that. You don't want me to know that. And this isn't to say that we should go around just confessing everything to everyone. You know, that, that wouldn't be wise. Uh, it, when we confess, it does need to be a person of spiritual maturity, but we must confess sin in the body of Christ. If we are going to be a gospel-centered community, then this is one of those actions that needs to take place. And it's difficult because this is the point in which we typically face the consequences of our sin. To be fully transparent with you, confession may change your relationship with someone. Confession may, may cost you your job. It may cost you financially. But the longer you refuse to confess, whether it's the dishonesty, the addiction, the unfaithfulness, the unethical business practice, whatever it is, the lies that cover it up, when you don't confess, the longer that you choose to hold on, the longer you will be bound to it, the longer you will be haunted by it. And church, God wants you to be free of it. God wants you to be free of it. Not only that, but God wants to restore joy and freedom in your life. 
And so this is the, the step that we take next, is to open up and examine and confess our faults. But confession without moving forward doesn't help. If all we do is commit to confess every time we mess up, then what keeps us from continuing to do what we know we shouldn't do? What we really need is change, and that's this next step, is to volunteer for every change God wants. Volunteer for every change that God wants. If if the last step was a step of transparency, then this is a step of transformation. And this transformation, this change that God wants for us, is from the inside out. Lasting change is not surface level. It's not superficial. God is not interested in merely polishing up the outside. It's not just behavior modification. It's whole life transformation. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. In fact, look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, changing requires that we think differently. As we said earlier, your thoughts will determine your feelings, and your feelings will determine your actions. And that's why behavior modification without a heart transformation will always fail. If you want to change your thinking, then you have to change your focus. Don't just get caught up in what you don't want. Focus on what you do want. Focusing on what you don't want to do is like a team that only plays defense. You know, I know we've all heard that defense wins championships. I don't buy it. I don't believe, it's a lie. It's definitely not the whole truth. I mean, you can't win without scoring. Personally, I'm glad the NFL has become all about the offense. No one wants to watch a football game that ends three to zero. That's boring. If you want that, watch soccer. Okay, the point is, (laughs) the point is you can't win with a defensive strategy alone. You have to have an offense. You need to focus more on the do than the don'ts. If you think about not doing something, then what are you thinking about? The very thing you don't want to do. And so that puts the focus on the wrong thing. Instead, we need to focus on who we are becoming in Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, again, I want to get really practical with this step. And so I want to give you two things as you volunteer for every change that God wants. We've already done the ABCs. We're not going to do the one, two, threes, just two things, okay? First one is this, one step at a time. One step at a time. If you try to focus on everything, that needs to be changed in your life, you will fail. You will find yourself discouraged. You will find yourself frustrated. And eventually you will give up. The reason it's called the road to recovery is because it's a journey. You didn't get where you are today overnight. 
It was the culmination of a lot of things, but mostly the culmination of our decisions and our actions year after year after year. And so we need to focus on one step at a time, one day at a time, one defect at a time, one victory at a time. And the good news is that, is that change often has a snowball effect, but it takes time for that momentum to build. And so we need to focus on progress more than perfection. If you want to write a question down that you can ask, I'd encourage you to, to write this question down. God, given where I'm at today, what is the next step that you want me to take? Given where I'm at today, God, what is the next step that you want me to take? And as that step becomes clear, take the step. And then ask the question again, God, given where I'm at now, what is the next step that you want me to take? What thought or behavior or pattern needs to be changed next? And so we just take it one step at a time. And then the second thing is this, two are better than one. It's the one-two punch. One step at a time, two are better than one. And this is, comes directly from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Recovery is not a solo sport. We need help. We need relationships. We need people around us who are going to build us up and encourage us. We need good friends more than we need good strategies. I know that you know this to be true. The right people will help you in your road to recovery, but the wrong people will hinder you. It's a principle that we see over and over in the book of Proverbs. We tend to reflect and emulate those that are closest to us. And this is why gathering with other believers regularly is so critical. And maybe, maybe today you find yourself in a season where you need some new friends. Maybe the friends that you've had ha have not been supportive of the changes that you know you need to make. That's why we started Celebrate Recovery. It's the perfect place for imperfect people, for all of us. And I want to encourage you, if this is where you find yourself today, join us here at our Broken Arrow campus on Tuesdays, dinner at 6, and then it starts at 7. But it, not only do we promote Celebrate Recovery, we also promote groups here at Battle Creek. We don't just say that life is better together. We genuinely believe it. In fact, our groups are about to launch. And so for the next two Sundays, uh, on January 23rd and the 30th, we're going to be having a groups expo at every one of our campuses. It's the perfect opportunity to meet group leaders and to ask questions. We want everyone to be engaged at a group here at Battle Creek Church. And maybe you haven't been able to connect with a group in the past. Or maybe you have a group of friends that you already do life with. If that's you, then I want to encourage you to start a group. In fact, on your seat when you came in today was this Gather 3 Pizza Free card. It's got a QR code on the back that you can scan. And I would encourage you, find a few friends, even if they don't attend Battle Creek Church. In fact, it's a perfect evangelistic opportunity. Many people are unwilling to walk into a church building, but they'll join you in your living room. And so start a group. Say, I'm done trying to do life on my own. But whatever you do, don't travel the road of recovery alone. You won't get far. As I was preparing for the message today, God has woken me up several times, believing that there are people here today who 
have maybe begun this road of recovery and have gotten hung up at this point. And, and maybe they have confessed to God, but they haven't made that confession with one another. And, and so I want to take a couple of minutes as we conclude today to lead us in a time of reflection in a time of prayer. And so I would invite you to go ahead and, and bow your heads and close your eyes with me. What is God laying on your heart that needs to be confessed? When you think about opening up and, and examining your life, what is that thing that comes to mind? The thing that every time it, it pops up in your mind, you immediately begin to feel sense of guilt. Would you take a moment and confess that to God? Just say, God, I'm sorry. I know that I have allowed this thing in my life to keep me up at night, to prevent me from pressing in to you. And God, I confess it to you. I lay it at your feet right now. Whatever it is, would you confess it to him? And then I would ask that you would ask God, God, who is the person that I now need to go and confess this to? Remember, confession is two parts. We confess to God and we confess to one another. And so maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a community group or a spiritual mentor in your life? Who is it that you need to confess to? And God, I pray for all of us in this moment. We all have areas of our life that need to be worked on that haven't been perfectly conformed to your will for us. And so God, would you help us would you give us strength? Would you give us courage to not allow sin in our life to remain concealed, but to open up and bring it into the light? God, I pray for those who, who will confess today or this week that in that confession, that they would feel the freedom that comes through that confession. And God, I pray that for those that are on the receiving end of a confession this week, that they would extend the grace and the love of Christ. God, may we be a church body that takes confession seriously. And may we experience the healing and the freedom that comes from it. And with your head still bowed and eyes still closed, I want to encourage you now to ask the question, God, in light, of, in light of this confession, what change do I need to make in my life? What change are you asking me to make? What step is it that I need to take? Maybe it's a belief or a behavior. Some sort of pattern that needs to be addressed. It's one step that God is asking you to take today.
And God, as we go about seeking to take steps of faith this week, God, we pray that you would help us to be in step with your spirit. Would you guide us in this journey? And God, may we never be content to just take the next step, but may we continue to ask the question of what is the step beyond that that I take next? God, would we not get too far ahead of ourselves? May we continue to just simply take it one step at a time, but would you guide us and lead us? Would you give us the courage and the boldness to take steps of freedom? And maybe you're here today and and you've never taken the very first step. Maybe you've never confessed that that you have sin in your life and, and you've never acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You haven't put your faith and your trust in him. Let me remind us that the power of recovery, the the freedom of recovery comes by God's power, not our own. And if that's you today, then I wanna lead you in a simple prayer. Again, prayer is just simply talking to God and, and I'll repeat it one phrase at a time and you can repeat it after me, something in your own words, but Would you pray, and and you're not going to pray alone, men and women all around the room and all over our campuses will pray this with you. But if that's you today, you say, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I need his power to be able to move forward in the power of recovery. Would you simply say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, would you come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, and my forgiver. And in the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I give my life to you. Thank you for saving me. And if you prayed that prayer here today, then I want to say congratulations. It is the best, wisest decision you could ever make. And we are so thrilled that you would take that step. We wanna know, and we wanna be able to connect with you because we know that, that life is better together and that we can walk this road of recovery together. And so let me pray over us today. God, we thank you for your power, for your strength. We thank you for the name of Jesus that breaks strongholds. God, we thank you that in you there is freedom, that there is hope, that there is life. And so Father, would you empower us this week and every week of our lives to live in an open and transparent way. God, would you empower us and equip us to to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Would our thoughts be focused on you? And God, may we continue to walk this route in a way that would encourage others, that would lead others to see and to believe that there is a God who loves us, who doesn't want us to just simply stay where we are, but wants us to experience life and life abundantly. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for all that you are, for all that you've done. And it's in the powerful and holy name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Can you give it up for God this morning?